Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to, to be with you today. What an absolutely beautiful morning on this, uh, I guess, uh, final, uh, final opportunity for us to gather uh, together, uh, all together outdoors in this way. I know I will really miss it, and as, I, as I'm sure uh, many of you will as, as well. But we all know days like this uh, are numbered as the, the weeks and the season uh, progress. And so provision needs to be made for us to, to return to indoor worship. And, and, and so while I'll miss this, uh, I'm also looking forward to some of the things that we have missed out on in not being able to, to meet inside together. So uh, we'll look forward to that. I, I do also want to take uh, this opportunity uh, once again uh, to thank those who have worked so hard over uh, these many, many uh, months to make this happen uh, week in, week out. You know, setting up tents and chairs, uh, preparing communion, uh, getting things uh, in place each week, especially our, our, our tech team who've done just an amazing job. Um, you know, they've had to set up a lot, get things right each week. They provided the live stream uh, broadcast for those who can't, uh, haven't been able to, to join us. It's been a lot of work, and it's work that's not uh, gone unnoticed. Um, as well, um, our, our musicians who have faithfully served us, and they've served us in all conditions in the the sweltering sun and, 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 and heat of the summer through blustery conditions where, you know, they're, they're afraid that their music's going to blow across the parking lot. And uh, they've been here week in, week out leading us, and we're grateful for that. So to all of, those, all of you who, who've served us uh, so well on behalf of the whole congregation, uh, let me offer to you our, our heartfelt gratitude. We so appreciate uh, how you've served us. And uh, and work so hard for us. Um, all you've done, thank you. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to once again, as we turn to God's Word, we're going to be uh, in the Gospel of Matthew and in chapter 9. Uh, if, if you've been with us at all in recent weeks, you'll know that we've been looking um, at the way the Lord Jesus encountered real people and changed their lives. We've been looking at the way He met people, He met people in their need, and the way in which he, he showed both extraordinary power and great compassion and mercy in response. We've been seeing how Jesus brought meaning and hope and answers to the lives of people who needed him. And as we've said, not just these people in the times in which he lived that we read about in the pages of the, the gospel, but also now, today, we, we've been seeing how Jesus continues to bring meaning and hope and answers to the lives of people today, to those of us today uh, who need him just the same. And, and, and so we've been, been seeing in these encounters something of the character and the ways of Jesus. But additionally, we've also been seeing how people approach Jesus. And through that, we've been learning something of how we are able to approach him too. And, and, and I think we'll see something of that in the story before us this morning. And so let's get into it. Uh, let me begin uh, by reading, uh, beginning at verse 27 of Matthew uh, chapter 9. It says this, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. 
But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never has anything like this, uh, not, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. In that final striking verse, the Pharisees, the opponents of Jesus at this stage in the story, are casting doubt on Jesus' claimed identity. They're saying, yeah, okay, he seems to be doing good things. He's driving out evil. He's healing people. He's solving problems. He's bringing good things into people's lives, apparently. Apparently it looks like that, but we know. We're sure that the reason he's got this apparent spiritual authority is because actually he is in league with spiritual darkness. He is in league with evil. That's how He's got influence with what's evil. And, and, and they're reaching for a conspiracy theory. They're saying, okay, the good stuff seems to, you know, the, it seems to kind of prove that he's a good guy. But no, no, no. It could prove the very opposite. And this is the way our minds can often work. Things that would suggest themselves as strong evidence in favor of one position can end up, if we reach for a big enough kind of conspiracy theory angle, they can end up being evidence for the very opposite. And, and we end up being kind of on a sea of confusion. What do we believe? How do we believe? Where do we go? And, and I can imagine if, if, if you were a bystander watching Jesus do doing things, and then listen to the Pharisees afterward and, and with any kind of respect for them, you might be completely thrown. What do, I, what do I think about this Jesus? What do I believe? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he spiritually good or spiritually evil? Where do I go? And frankly, many of us still live today, 20 centuries later, in, in a similar place of confusion about the biggest questions. How can I know? How can I trust? Some, some people say God's this way. Some people say God's that way. It's so hard to be sure. It's hard to even know if God, if there even is a God. It, it's so hard to be sure if Jesus really is this and really is that. How can I trust and who can I trust and, and what can I trust? And it's interesting that Matthew, from the very beginning of his gospel, is really clear about, about the answer. See, Matthew, as an eyewitness, is, is someone who knows the story. He knows who Jesus really is. In fact, he says in the very first verse of his gospel, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Matthew's clear. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew's totally upfront about it. And so it's a bit like Columbo, if you like. I don't know if you ever saw, uh, you ever saw it, but it was this program back in the mists of time, back in the 70s or so. And, and, and there, was a, there was a detective show where actually it was quite, quite unique because what happened is the crime was done in the very first scene and the audience saw who did it. And, and, and so instead of then watching the detective trying to work it out and you're working it out along with him or, or, or with her, 
In, in Colombo, you watch Colombo work out what you already know. And it's kind of like that in Matthew. Matthew's up front. He's saying, listen, this is who Jesus is. Now, let's just watch. Let's watch people kind of suss it out. And it's interesting how it's not until all the way into chapter 9 where finally somebody says it. Somebody finally says that Jesus is the son of David. And who says it? Some blind men. A couple of blind guys see it. You've got to love the irony of it. I mean, I, I think God loves irony. I, I, I think he purposely includes it. Yeah, the ones who can't see, the guys who can't see, who, who can see nothing at all, they're the ones that actually see as clear as anything. They see what the apparently 2020 vision people can't see. And, and there's so much going on in, in this story that it's worth us digging in a bit to, to really get enriched by it and, and helped by it. Because what these guys are saying when they say Jesus is the Son of God is something rich and magnificent, something fresh and life-giving, filled with, with hope and joy and peace, even for you. Even, even as a 21st century person, you need to know that Jesus is the Son of David. Do I? I mean, who's David? Well, the idea you need to understand is, is, is that the hope for all of history is that God would bring to the world, into the world, a hero, a rescuer, a savior, who would be from the family tree of, the, of King David of Israel, somebody who would be born from, from his line, who would come to bring God's peace, God's justice, God's righteousness, God's rescue to his broken, weary, despised, shame-filled, guilt-ridden people who'd fallen so far from, from him. And God wasn't going to forget them. God was going to send a son of David to, to, to raise them up, to lift them up again. And there are all kinds of promises and, and yearnings throughout the Old Testament about this very thing. You can find, for example, in, in, in Isaiah, let me, let me read these words that seem very relevant to what we're looking at today. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then, this is Isaiah uh, it, this is Isaiah uh, 35, verse 5. The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That's interesting. Jesus in this story is healing blind men so that their eyes are open. Even the mute man gets to speak. It, it, it's, it's kind of pregnant with this kind of Old Testament imagery of, of David's son, of a messianic age when God would show up through a particular rescuer. And it will be characterized by these kinds of moments in liberation and healing. And these guys have seen that. These blind men have seen Jesus in that light and, they've, and, and they're, they're filled with hope about him. And let's just think about this a bit further because it's, it's, it's worth us trying to understand really what's going on in this story because you see you've actually got three different groups of people here you've got the blind men you've also got the pharisees who are opposed to jesus and then you've got the crowds in general 
the crowds at the end of verse uh, 33, the crowds marveled saying never was anything like this scene in Israel. And there are these moments in, in, in Matthew uh, where he shows how the craw- crowds respond. He, he shows how Jesus' mania has gone viral. He shows the social media response. He shows how this is the, the big hashtag thing. It's just going everywhere. Everyone's crazy about him. This is amazing. The crowds. And you'd think, Perhaps that's it. Jesus would be satisfied. That's what he came for, didn't he? He, he? he came to gather a crowd for his fame to grow. Isn't that his goal? But Jesus is actually, he's not satisfied with just gathering a crowd, it seems, because partly he even says so. He says, he tells these blind men after they've been healed, he says sternly in verse 30, see that no one knows about this. What? Don't you want everyone to know about you? Well, there's a sense in which Jesus wants to be known, but he wants very much for people to know, that he wants people very much to know what he's, what he's doing, but, but in a certain way. Maybe we can think of it like this. Think about the hands of a clock. This is a way just to, to illustrate the point. The hands of the clock, you've got the hour hand, the minute's hand, and the second's hand. The hand that moves the fastest, is which, which one is that? That's the second hand, right? It's always moving. You can, you can see it moving all the time. But that's the hand that probably matters the least. Some clocks don't even have it. Some watches don't even have it. You don't desperately need to know most of the time the seconds. What's the most important uh, hand? What, what hand matters the most? You know, what, what's the hand that in the end makes the, the most difference when you're trying to understand what's going on in a clock? It's the hour hand. It's the hand that moves the slowest. And then in between, you can, if you watch it carefully, you can, you can actually see uh, it move. Uh, you know, the, the, the minute's hand. You know, the hour hand, not so much. You, you can never really see it move. You, you walk away and come back, it's moved, but you don't see it move. And, and this corresponds a bit to these three responses that we hear, see here in the story. You've got the crowds. The crowds are excited. Wow, Jesus is amazing. Isn't this incredible? You know, uh, retreat, you know, retweet, hashtag, you know, quick take a picture. It's going viral. Everyone's excited. But you know what crowds are like. You know how some politicians and celebrities are, are like up here and then within days they're down, they're down here. I mean, Jesus himself experienced that very thing. The last week of, of, of his public ministry, Jesus' pop, you know, popularity went from that to that within days. Crowds aren't the answer. Jesus didn't come to win a crowd as such. Crowds can dip. Crowds are, are, are flippant. Crowds are, 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 are fickle crowds. Yeah, they're interesting. You can do something with a crowd, but, it, but, it, but it's not the goal. But then you've got the opposition. They're like, they're like the minute's hand. You know, you, you look carefully, you watch it, and, and, and you see a few people muttering and questioning and, and growing a, a little hostile. And then, then ultimately, you see them hating Jesus. And, and it takes a little bit more time. You have to, to watch more carefully to see it happen, but it, it gathers momentum, and it's a big deal. Jesus is watching the second's hand and the minute's hand, 
But neither of those are the main thing as far as he's concerned. The thing that he's watching for, the thing is the thing that you can't see happening up front. It takes time. It takes time. Jesus even speaks like this sometimes. He, he likens the growth of the, the kingdom to, uh, to the leaven in a loaf. You can't see yeast working, but it does. It, it takes time. It works. It works slowly, imperceptibly. Or you watch the, the growth of a plant, you know, a, a seed, just this tiny thing, but slowly it becomes a tree that is huge and, and mighty. And Jesus is saying, it's like that in the kingdom. I'm looking for something that you can't even see growing unless you're prepared to hang around for years and watch. Jesus is watching for that kind of progress. It's the most important thing. That our hand is the only hand that really matters as far as Jesus is concerned. I'm watching for that, he's saying. And in this story, you see it referred to as faith, as trust. That's what he's looking for in this story. He's looking for trust. I want to see people who know who I really am and they fully trust me. I'm looking for that. I will keep watching for that hour hand to move. I'm not, I'm not interested in instant fickle success. So, so don't go spreading the word about me right now. And so let's just look at these three gro- groups a bit more carefully. The crowds, the opposition, and then ultimately the faithful, the trusting. Let's be the a little bit more time on, on each one. The crowds. Why is Jesus not so interested in, in, in the crowd? Why is he kind of so-so about crowds? Well, I think it's a little bit to do with the fact that, that for many people living in Jesus' time, and in fact our time, the idea of Jesus being the answer, it can be misconstrued. We can basically reduce it down to our sh- shallow preferences come and solve this problem for me jesus come and fix those problems for me jesus come and take away this problem from me jesus that's what you're here for that's all you're you're here for that's the box you fit into it you're my butler what do i what do i mean well the hope that the people had for the messiah in the time of jesus was especially mixed up with a political agenda there were People clinging to the hope of a rescuer, a Messiah, who would basically be a violent militarist, who would, who would be a conquering politician who would come into Israel's story as a military hero and deal with their enemies and really stick it to them. And what they longed for, many of them, they, they would have been dreaming and hoping for a David who would come. And, and what the David would have to do would be to stick it to the Romans. And if he's going to do that, hey, we're on, we're on the bandwagon because that's our big problem. Our real problem is them. And if, if God sends his son of David, his hero, to deal with them, then we're all over it. We're on board. And Jesus was not willing to be drawn into that agenda. He subverts that very hope. He is the, he is the son of David, but he's not that son of David. The conquest that he has come to bring is over a much greater enemy than than the mere Romans. Our our political enemies, the people we don't like, the people we, 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 we don't get on with, Jesus hasn't ultimately come just to fix them. The problem in reality is that he's come to fix me. He's come to fix you. 
The problem as Jesus sees it is within us. The problem as he sees it is at the very heart of humanity. The, the enemy with which he's come to do battle, it's an enemy that we can't even see. We're not even aware of it sometimes. We don't even acknowledge the enemy. Jesus says, I've come to deal with that. I've come to bring transformation, not just to the political structures. Really, that's not the main thing. That's, that's secondary at most. In fact, the reason you think it's the main thing is because you're trying to create a smoke street. You're trying to create a decoy. You're trying to distract from the genuine problem. And society these days seems more and more filled with people who are eager to make something else the issue, make something else the problem, rather than deal with the genuine problem of the inward problem of the human heart, which is desperately clinging to all kinds of wickedness and idolatry and longings and desires that are not right, appetites that are not right, lusts and selfishness and greed and all of the shame and the guilt that, that, that attends those things, the horror of the human heart, the mess of it, the stuff that, that we can't deal with, we can't clean up our act, we can't, we don't, we, don't, we don't want to left to ourselves. We actually prefer that, that than the God who made us. We want things to go well, but we certainly won't, don't want God to fix them in his way. If there is a God, we want it to be a God who fixes our problems from a safe distance. If we want a son of David, a Messiah, we want someone who will fix things at a safe distance. And so the great movement of Israel for that kind of a hero rescuer type person, Jesus wasn't interested in that. And so when he hears people talk that way, he seems to close it down. He seems to avoid it. Because Jesus has come for the real enemy, which is our sin, our wickedness, our enmity with God, our resistance to God, our wrongdoing, the things that we've done that are wrong, the things that we've said that are wrong, the things that, that, that we've thought are, that are wrong, the things that we should have done that we didn't do, the things that we should have said that we didn't say, the, the things that we should have thought that we didn't think. Those are the real problems, my friend. Those are the real things that Jesus has come to deal with. Jesus has come as the son of David, the great rescuing king, to deal with our real enemies. And the way he has done it, the way he has, has won his victory, the way he's triumphed over those things is, 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 is absolutely astonishing. He didn't do it by riding a, a great horse into Jerusalem, taking out the Romans. He did it by riding a donkey into Jerusalem and being taken by the Romans and crucified. Jesus was taken and crucified for us, for our sin, for our shame. This is his great victory. This is the, the hero rescuer that we need. And listen, the crowds will always go for a cheap, trivial, shallow victory the, with shallow hope, shallow goals and dreams. The things that, 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 that make the, the crowds excited are not the things that make the heart of God excited. They're, they're, they're not the things that we really need. These didn't come for that. And we need to, to look further. And so there's the, the crowd's response. But let's look then at the opposition that Jesus gets the opposition 
is, is here from the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the ones who have a closed mind. You know, the, the crowds are excited immediately, like the, the, the second hands, you know, just ticking along. The Pharisees, a little slower, but you see it. You see the opposition. You see people muttering and suspicious and, and questioning and gradually becoming a bit more antagonistic and hostile. And, and as you, you watch their progressions, their, their, their discussions become more and more dark. They start saying things like, yeah, he's not a good guy at all. He's evil. That's how, that, that's how he's got power with evil, because he's evil himself. Why? Why would they reach for... a, a a conspiracy theory. Because they want to. Because in their heart, they would prefer that. Because left to ourselves, we prefer that. You see, these guys don't feel the need for Jesus. They don't need Jesus. As far as they're concerned, they don't. They don't feel sick. They feel healthy. And Jesus himself said in the very same chapter we're in, a, f- a few verses earlier, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous, not, I, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, Jesus hasn't got any good news for people who think they're righteous. People who think they're fine. People who, who think they're healthy. If, if you don't feel the need for Jesus, Well, Jesus hasn't got anything for you. And you can go through life blind because of that. Blind, ironically, not literally, not biologically blind, but spiritually blind. And in fact, getting blinder and blinder, you can imagine that you're seeing with with 2020 vision, just like these Pharisees, you know, we can see what's going on. We see very clearly. We're qualified. We're educated. We're the experts. We understand culture and time, and we understand religion. We understand the, the whole thing. We get it. We don't need Jesus. We're not messed up like these blind beggars. We can see clearly, thank you very much. We see what's going on. And Jesus himself says later on in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 15, he refers to the Pharisees as the blind leading the blind. They think they see, but in fact, they're hopelessly blind. In fact, they're blinder than these two men, hopelessly lost in their darkness and confusion. Because deep down, there's a pride. There's an antagonism that doesn't want God, doesn't want his solution, doesn't actually desire him. And, and they're, they're that close to him. The God they apparently worship, the God they, they're apparently interested in, shows up in the flesh and they reject him. You know, many people will ask the question, very often I've been asked the question, what about people who've never heard of Jesus? What, if, what, what about people who've never heard of Jesus? If Jesus is the way to God, What about people who've never heard of Jesus? What will God do with them when they die? And it's a good question. It's an important question, which today is not the day for me to to get into it. Talk to me about it um, another time. But listen, it assumes something, right? The assumption is, if we've heard of Jesus, then of course we'll turn to him. 
The great problem we've got is information. We just need to hear about Jesus. Well, yes, we do need to hear about Jesus to be sure. The problem with the heart, though, is that however much information you have, you might still reject him. The Pharisees did. Even when he was, he was up close, that close to them, they still rejected him. There's this, there is a tendency in us out of pride to reject him and to reach instead for conspiracy theories that really don't make sense. So, so, so many of the foundations of, of, of our skepticism, people who I meet, people I talk to, people all over Sonoma County who, who have their objections to Christianity. You know, we're a city with so many objections, aren't we? We have very, so many very important objections. We, we really feel angry about Christianity. We feel angry with the church. We feel angry with the church and its history. You know, we think of the Christian church as it's got this horrible record on human rights, and therefore Christianity must be false. I recently saw a fantastic uh, article by Tom Holland, a historian, pointing out that that doesn't really make, make sense because the whole tradition of human rights that we have here in the West is, is really a legacy of Christianity. We wouldn't even care about human rights in the way that we do if it wasn't for the influence of Christianity. So if you like, we're using Christianity to bash Christianity, and we don't even realize the complete irony of it. We don't realize the illogical basis for our argument. We don't realize we're, we're reaching for a conspiracy theory that doesn't make sense. Jesus just cast out the evil, evil out of this mute man. This, this, this mute man can, can speak. Therefore, Jesus must be evil. What a strange explanation. But we'll reach for strange explanations all the time. If the alternative is to humbly come to the son of David and say, help me. I need help. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need healing. I need you to rescue me. That's too much to ask the proud heart. The proud heart would prefer to stay with conspiracies. So the problem with the Pharisees is not the lack of information. It's that they're looking away from it. And so we've looked at the crowds, we've looked at the opposition, but let's look finally at these, at these blind men in this story because what they demonstrate is, is the kind of trust in Jesus that this whole story is about. And, and, and what is this trust in Jesus characterized by? Jesus says, according to your faith, may it be done unto you. In other words, according to your trust, do you trust me? Are you confident in me, Jesus is saying. And that, that's the question he would ask all of us. Do you trust me? And evidently, he's satisfied that they do, it seems. It seems that way from the story. So what can we see about them that, that, that speaks of faith, that speaks of trust? Well, let me just go through a few things really quickly as, as we finish this morning. First of all, these guys, they are afflicted. They, are suff they have suffered. But their suffering has caused them to turn to God in desperation. Suffering can do that to us. Suffering can be the reason for our desperation and our yearning for God. But suffering can also be the reason, sadly, for us to turn from God. To become bitter and hardened towards God. And there's a sense in which we hold the rudder in our hand. We get to turn the ship. We kind of get to decide which way will affliction lead you. 
Which way will suffering lead you? These blind men, their blindness is the occasion for, their, for, for desperate hope that the Son of God, can, the Son of David, can heal. They're, 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 they've turned their suffering into hope. And many of us, when we get to, to points of suffering, we don't see the connection. We don't see the opportunity. We can't see it. Perhaps the pain is too much. Perhaps there's, there, there, there's too much of a barrier. But it, but it doesn't have to be. It, it can be a, a reason that we call and reach out and cry out. Their blindness has actually helped them to see. Their blindness has meant, I understand my need. And suffering can help us to, to see, I need Jesus like, like I didn't realize. I'm desperate now. Maybe suffering has come into your life. Maybe recently. Maybe, maybe the, the moment has come for you to turn this suffering into an opportunity for desperate need, desperate prayer, desperate calling on God, turning to Him in hope, turning to Him as the answer, and not hardening yourself and closing yourself off and sealing yourself off from it. The second thing that their faith is characterized by is that they cry for mercy. They, they understand that they don't come to him with a claim. They don't make an, an impression. Uh, they, they don't come and, 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 and show what they've done for him. They don't come to Jesus saying, look, please help. You must help. Look, I'm a good guy. I've done this for you. I've tried hard. Be kind to me because I'm a good person. No. Be merciful to me. Be merciful. Undeserved favor. That's the way that God deals with you. If, if God is good to you, it is undeserved goodness. And if your appeal to God is ever based on something you've achieved for him, you've missed the point. You're not trusting him. You're trusting yourself. You need to turn away from your, from, from your record. Turn away from your achievements. Turn away from anything that you can do. Your scorecard, just turn and say, I stopped trusting in my approval ratings and my achievements and in my goodness. I stopped trusting in it. Jesus, have mercy on me. I've got nothing, I've nothing to prove. I've nothing to claim. And Jesus told stories about this, about a man who's in the temple and, 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 and crying out to him saying, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And then another man who's looking at this sinner saying, oh, I'm glad I'm not like him. God, I'm glad that I'm not like this other person. And God says, it's actually the first person that goes home right with God, who has found favor with God. Because God reaches out to those who reach out for mercy, not those who reach out for a claim to make, of, make on him. And then the final thing that we see that I'll mention is that they're hungry for him. They're hungry for him. And their hunger is shown through the, the way they deal with the, the, the hurdles. Jesus, it's interesting, they, followed, they follow him down the road, but he doesn't stop for them. I mean, Jesus often stopped for people kindly. In this case, he doesn't stop for them. He, he just goes on into this house. He goes into this house, and then it says they followed him in. These guys aren't going to be put off, even by Jesus apparently being a bit rude to them, it would seem. They're not easily put off. They follow him inside. They keep following him. Faith is persistent. 
Faith presses through. Faith doesn't quit. Faith doesn't give up. Let me urge you to to consider the same for yourself. Faith doesn't give up. Even when it seems like there are reasons to give up put before faith. Even when you might be offended. Well, well, Jesus didn't help me in that situation. Jesus didn't answer that prayer. Why should I trust him? Why should I, I keep believing him? You let me down. You're, you're rude to me. God can sometimes come across like that. But he's watching. He's watching to see their faith. Jesus was wanting to see, are these blind men just part of the crowd? Jesus wants to know, are these guys trusting me? Do you know who I truly am? Do you really? Are you persistent? Are you going to keep pushing through? And they do. They push through. And Jesus honors that when he sees it. He says to them, do you believe I'm able to do this? you believe I'm able? And they say, yes, Lord. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't say, do you think I would like to do this for you? He doesn't give that away. Not yet. He just says, do you believe I'm able to? In other words, whether he does it or not, they believe he's able to. They believe he's good for it. They trust him. So faith is persistent faith. Faith trusts in the lordship of Jesus. Faith allows him to be sovereign and in control. Faith handles suffering and affliction and turns it into an occasion for hope and calling on God. And faith comes on the basis of his mercy, not on the basis of our achievement. Let's pray. Father, Help us, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit to develop the same kind of faith that we see in these men. We don't have it in ourselves. We are not strong. We are weak. But you're a merciful God, so please, would you have mercy on us? Would you give us great faith in your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray? Amen.